Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognise the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God, and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Thank you, Abby. Um, my name is Josh, and I work for Christchurch. And I, I'm going to talk us through that passage. We're going to spend a bit of time there, so please do keep that bit of the Bible open. And um, I'm going to pray before we, we start thinking about it. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are going to listen to your word and we know that you have spoken your word. And so we expect, we expect that it will transform us, it will challenge us where we have not thought um, to bring our lives in line with you. And it will invite us and encourage us and give us and equip us um, for living in your world. So we do pray that that would be happening and that your Holy Spirit will be laying on our hearts the things that he has said and written in this word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, when I was at university, my degree was in forensic science, which sounds quite interesting, and we did a module on chemistry, and uh, for a few weeks in that one module on chemistry, we learned a lot about poisons which is an interesting thing to learn about in university. Um, and one of the poisons we learned about was arsenic. Now, arsenic is a very bad thing. It's very unpleasant. Um, and it is a poison, and uh, it's not so nice to learn about. But actually, one of the things we did find out about it was that in very small doses, it's actually got health benefits. Now, don't try this at home. I don't want anyone, like, picking up any wrong ideas or anything like that. No, 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 no. Leave, it, leave it out. It shouldn't be on your kitchen shelf. But um, we were told, apparently, that if you have tiny amounts of arsenic, it's actually quite good for your complexion. It's good for your hair and your teeth and your nails and your skin. And they told us a story about a woman who slipped some arsenic into her husband's dinner. She didn't want him to notice, so she didn't put very much in. And nothing happened. And then the next day, she put a little bit in, and nothing happened. And the next day, she put some more in. The next day, she put some more in. The next day, she put some more in. And after about a week or two weeks, everyone was saying to the husband how wonderful he looked. They were saying how healthy he looked. The fact his skin looked young, and his hair wasn't thinning anymore, and it was nice and bushy, and he looked wonderful. Well... The woman clocked what might be happening and so upped the dosage and it came to a grisly end. Um, but it was interesting to realise that you could be consuming something extremely dangerous and not only not realise it, but think it's healthy. 
Now, that's a lesson for you in terms of what you eat in your diet, maybe. But um, it is also something that John is pointing out in this letter of 1 John, in this particular passage, that it's possible to be consuming something in our Christian lives, consuming something that forms and shapes what we believe and what we think about the world, to be consuming all those things under the guise of growing as a Christian, and yet for that type of thing to be well, quite disastrous, quite dangerous, but maybe you wouldn't have even noticed. Maybe you'd even confuse it with something that's healthy. Have a look at verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world John knows of a situation where Christians are being exposed to to teaching that has the appearance of healthy Christian teaching, but John knows it's actually not from God, despite what people are saying about it. And this is going to raise the question for us today, what about you? What are you consuming? Who teaches you what to believe? And John wants to teach us to ask that question, well, where is it from? He's going to use that language in these verses, from God or not from God. And John's training is to ask the question, is what I'm being taught from God or not from God? So from this passage, I'd, I'd love to be able, you to be able to go away from this and to be able to think about that Christian devotional book that you read. Or to be thinking about that mantra that you live your life by all the time or that podcast that you listen to on your way to work, or those values that that shape how you think about yourself and others. And I want you to be able to recognise whether it's from God or not from God. John is going to give us two tests in this short passage, and each of them exposes some false thinking that I think that we can accidentally fall into that make us consume these dangerous things. And we're going to look at these two tests in two sections of um, the sermon this morning. The first test exposes the false thinking that we all agree on the most important things. So the faulty thinking, number one, is that we all agree on the most important things. Um, One of the really lovely things that I've experienced through working for a church is that whenever I meet somebody new who I've not met before who's not a Christian, if I meet like a friend of a friend or um, a neighbour or the barber, and you just get chatting with them, and they ask you what you do, and I say I work for a church, and it's really lovely because that gives me the opportunity to have um, a conversation with them about why I work for the church and why I believe what I believe. It's a great conversation to have, but here's how I think it's going to go. I think I'm going to tell them things that they disagree with. And that I'm going to, they're going to disagree with me on these things. We're going to have this disagreeing conversation. Sooner or later, we're going to come up against this blockage because well, we're not on the same page. Because I know I've got distinctively Christian beliefs about Jesus who died and rose again. But what I find happening... And maybe you've experienced this too if you're in a similar situation. What I find happening is that they say something like, well, I really love the teaching that we should love one another as we love ourselves. And you know what? I love that too. And I can totally agree with that. 
And then they say, well, I, you know, my point of view is we're all equal and people shouldn't harm one another. And you know what? I can agree with that as well. And so they're pulling in this direction of, of love and harmony and peace in a better world. And that's something that I can approve of as well. So we end up chatting about the things we agree on. We hover in that agreement zone. And it feels like if I start to kind of talk about more distinctively Christian things, like Jesus, well, that's where we're going to disagree. And it's hardly worth disagreeing on Jesus when we really agree on the most important things. Well, that is the faulty thinking that's going on behind this letter. Where John has said in verse 1 that many false prophets have gone out into the world, when he says false prophets, I don't want you to think of kind of dark, pointy-tailed, horned prophets from the abyss floating around in their Halloween costumes. I think John, at that point, when he says false prophets have gone out into the world, he's got in mind a particular event that happened in the recent history of his church. And that is that some folks went out from his church as missionaries to a friend of a friend, to their neighbour or to the barber, and further afield. And they got into that same conversation that I do. They realise that they can connect with people when, when we say that we all agree on the most important things. We want peace, we want unity, we want love, we want justice. But it's likely that the people who went out from John's church kind of stayed in that agreement zone. They made sure that whatever they taught about Christianity was totally palatable to all those around them and nothing disagreed with them. And they even adjusted the message of Jesus so that it fit nicely with the people they were speaking to. They adjusted the message of Jesus because folks around them would have loved the idea of being able to have a spiritual connection from our heart straight to God into the divine eternal life. They wanted that so much that they wouldn't have really accepted that something so spiritual and mysterious could have come from an actual human being, a chap who's a carpenter, who lived in Nazareth, who had a mum and dad. So those missionaries would have said, oh, well, okay, yeah, that, that bit's not something that would really kind of connect with you. So they toned that bit down and they just focused on the mistaken thinking that, well, we still do all agree on the most important things. And of course, what they were doing was distorting the message of Jesus. They were effectively saying it's not relevant that Jesus came in the flesh. You don't have to believe that. And John says to the church, who's seen all of this happen, he says, verse 2, well, this is the test, you see. You can tell that those missionaries are actually false prophets because, and that their spiritual message is not from a spirit that's from God. This is how you can tell. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's not from God. If they're not acknowledging he's come in the flesh, if they've toned that bit down, if they're removing that bit, well, you know that that's not from God. And that's the test. And every spirit, uh, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So that is the first test. That's how you know that what you consume is being laced with some poisonous teaching. Apply that test. Do they say that Jesus has come in the flesh? It's as simple as that, and I guess I just want to kind of say, go away and apply that now. You know, apply that to everything you consume. Are they saying that Jesus has come in the flesh? But you know what, I think it is a little bit tricky in our culture to really take that fully on board, because 
I wonder whether most of us feel that that's a little bit of an irrelevant test. Because if you look at what folks in the world around us are saying, they are saying that Jesus was a full human being. We live in a world where people actually disregard the supernatural. They're quite happy to say Jesus came in the flesh. What they deny is that Jesus really is God. And so I think there's a difficulty in us picking up this test and saying, oh, I'll just apply this. Do they say that Jesus was a real human? Because, you know, everyone says Jesus is a real human. So how can this be relevant? Well, if it feels irrelevant, notice that that mistaken thinking, that we all agree on the most important things, that is actually around us today. And I think that this spirit that says Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh is alive and well. And I think it's more popular and pervasive than you think. Here's why. There are people out there who say they're Christians. They appear to be Christians and they're just like the missionaries from John's church. They find that the most fruitful avenues of engaging with the world around them is not to try and prove that the historical Jesus really is God, but rather to say, oh, you know, we all agree that there is purpose in life. We all agree that there's something out there. There's something divine. And it seems fruitful and, and easier and nice to tap into those values that are important at the time. There is something out there who's divine, and it is the basis for us wanting equality and dignity and hope. The God who's out there brings all of those important things that our world really wants to know. And so we focus on that as the important thing. And if we do that, well, we don't really have to believe that that God who is behind our value of dignity and equality and love, we don't really have to believe that that God actually intersected with the world of human beings at one point in history. We don't have to believe that he stepped in an objective, observable, recordable way into our world on a particular date that is really true. I mean, surely pushing those things on people isn't worth it if we all agree on the most important things. And you see, that's today's lie, that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. It's the lie that says you don't really need a physical and historical Jesus if your spirituality is one that promotes faith in someone out there and that promotes all these most important things. Well, that lie is out there, and it is there in supposedly Christian teaching that erases Christ from the narrative of our lives in the world. And erasing Christ is what John calls anti-Christ. He says in verse 3, well, this is the spirit of the anti-Christ. And that is a spiritual work that's going on behind any message that tries to tell you you can have the fruit of knowing God without the root of believing that he came in the person of Jesus. Now, John is not saying... Guys, you're doing this and you need to stop. He's saying, I just want you to recognize that this might be what's happening. This might be what you're consuming when somebody gives you a new spiritual insight from the Spirit or even preaches from the pulpit on a Sunday in the power of the Spirit. John's saying, I want you to know that that might not be the Spirit of God. Unless it's pointing to the fact that God became human in the person of Jesus. And that means that there are things that you are likely to hear, I hope not in this building, but possibly, that come under the name of Christian teaching that sound great because it agrees with what we all think is most important. You'll hear stories and ideas that tap into our longing for peace and our longing for wholeness. 
that just don't require us to put our faith in God become man, Jesus. And it might sound healthy, but even if you think it will make you a healthy Christian or a healthy church to take that on board, listen, if it's not dependent on the fact that God became human in Jesus, then that's not from God. That's not the true gospel. Because it is false thinking to imagine that we agree on the most important things with people who disagree with us on Jesus. Because the Spirit of God says that Jesus is the most important thing. And if you would hear the Spirit of God speak, you'll hear him point you to Jesus. But then John goes on to give a second test to recognise um, faulty thinking in verses 4 to 6. And the faulty thinking that it exposes in verses 4 to 6 is um, the thinking that says, I find the truth in God, but not in the church. So the faulty thinking number two I find the, church, the truth in God, not the church. And that's what our second test is going to help expose. When I was younger, I used to play sport at school. Um, and one afternoon, we were in a rugby tournament. And in this tournament, there were different age groups. There was the older lads, and there was the younger lads, and there was probably even younger lads. And we only had one teacher, one coach. And he went with the older lads, the older group. So the, the team I was in was left without a coach. But it's okay, because... He appointed one of the older lads from the older age group to be our coach. And he wrote down his instructions for us. And he wrote down the names of all of us in the team and which position we should play in. And he explained to this guy what the instructions should be and left him in charge. The problem that I didn't like was that the lad who had left in charge, or I didn't really like him, (laughs) he wasn't very nice. And the position that I'd been set to play in, it was a position I didn't really want to play in. So I was in this situation where I would be moving forward and he'd say, no, move back. And I'd be moving out to the side and he'd say, no, move into the middle. And I just didn't get on with it. I didn't want to be in this position where I had the older lad telling me what to do. And I didn't want him to be reading out from the teacher's instructions what I should do. I wanted the teacher to tell me what to do. I wanted it direct from him what to do. And in John's day, something like that was probably going on where people wanted a connection to God. They just wanted to hear direct from God what to do, but didn't want the church and fellow believers and God's word to tell them what to believe. We actually know that that didn't stop in John's generation. I come across a lot of people today who feel like really the church and the Bible and Christians explaining the Bible to one another is not really where we're going to tap into a spiritual connection with God. You can have that spirituality just direct. But the test that we're given to recognise where we might be listening to a spirit from God is there in verse 6. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. It's spotting whether they are listening to a body of genuine believers and whether that is where they are coming to, to learn about and connect with God and be growing in their relationship with God rather than imagining you can have that without the fellowship of genuine believers. I think that actually that second test goes hand in hand with the first test. So with the first test, 
where you hear supposedly Christian teaching on nice-sounding ethical philosophies that don't point you to the fact that God became person in Jesus, that's not from God, but where you do hear that, teaching that Jesus came from God in the flesh, well, that is from God. And where that teaching happens, you get a group of believers gathering around that teaching, and they love to hear that. And that is a place just like John's church, full of believers in Jesus who trust their whole lives to him. And John is saying, you notice, you'll notice that there are some people who love this, who love to be among these witnesses to Jesus and love to listen to the witness to Jesus and love to hear what he's said in his word and who love to build their lives on the fact that God became man in Jesus. Those people, says John, we, he calls them, we are from God. But you'll notice that there are some people who claim eternal life and this same fellowship with the Father, but those people don't like to be around other Christians who share the message of the gospel with them. And they don't really want to listen to the message that is being proclaimed. They're actually like me as a rugby player saying, I don't want to listen to the instructions that have been written down. I don't want to listen to the person who's been put in charge who's explaining that to me. And I don't want to listen to him because he's basically the same as me. I don't want to be in, in that sort of situation. But what do you think my teacher would have said to me if I'd have said that? He'd have said, Josh, you did have me coaching you because you had my written instructions and they were from me. And you had my deputy. The person I'd appointed passing it on to you. And you had my instructions being explained. That was all me teaching you. So when you didn't listen to him, it was me who you were not listening to. That would have just exposed that it wasn't so much that I didn't like the older lad, it's that I didn't really want to be told what to do. And that I wasn't really wanting to do the best for the team. And John says the people who are like that with God, who won't listen to God's word passed on by fellow believers and witnesses, John says, well, that attitude really exposes that the spirit that they are speaking out of is not the spirit from God. He says, verse 5, those people are actually from, not God, they're from the world. They don't listen to true believers and witnesses. They do actually agree more with the world around them. And that's because they have the viewpoint of the world. They are speaking from the world. They are from the world and they're speaking from the world. They really do value most all of those things that the world values most and that's not Jesus. What it means is that that's quite a popular teaching. They get a lot of people who listen to them and you'd expect that because they're speaking from the world's point of view to people who can agree. But it's not from God. They are from the world, therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. But, says John, you are true Christians. And you can recognise that spirit as not being the spirit of God. Because you can see that that's a spirit who says it's possible to know God without hearing from the witnesses to Jesus. And that is how you can recognise that that's a spirit of falsehood, not the spirit of truth. And in saying that, I believe that John would have his readers and would have us today encouraged by that. See, I, I hope I haven't run the risk of making John sound divisive. You know, there's, there's us and there's them and there's the truth and there's the falsehood. We're the real Christians. John's not really trying to set up a division like that. He's saying, actually, the divide is already there. 
It's already that God's spirit is speaking and that other spirits are speaking. It's, and you will encounter people making claims that are supposedly in the spirit. They blend in with the spirit of our age. But that spirit has never been the same as the work of the Holy Spirit, whose goal is to show us Jesus. It's a different spirit altogether, and I just want you to know that that's a different spirit, and I want you to be able to see that it's a different spirit. And he says you will encounter people who say they're spiritually connected to God without any connection to people who witness to Jesus and love each other. But that just isn't the same spirit as the spirit of truth. And John says, well, I I want you to know that. That division is already there. I just want you to spot that that's a different thing, and that's not from God. His goal isn't division, But actually, when you see that there are two different spirits here, or the spirit of God and the spirit not of God, he actually says, well, I want you to, though, to be encouraged that you are listening to the spirit of God. I want you to be encouraged that you are from God. Listen to the encouragement he gives in in between those two tests in verse 4. You, dear children, you, dear children, you are from God. And have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Be encouraged. If you can discern the spirit of God from the spirits not from God, then that's because you are from God. It's because God's spirit is in you. And God's spirit who's in you is he's victorious. He's greater. He, he has overcome any antichrist, any Christ-erasing, church-erasing spirit. And we know that he's greater because we know that God has won a victory over every spirit and power. And yet we've seen that he's won that victory over spirits, not in a kind of cosmic spiritual battle. But we know that he won that victory in a physical, historical moment in our world. This is why it's so important that Jesus came in the flesh, because God's victory that means his spirit in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Well, that victory was won in a physical, historic moment, on a particular day, on a particular date. And that is the most important thing, that God became human. Because when he did, he would be the human who would overcome the devil by resisting perfectly every temptation to be anti-God that he could throw at him. And he was the human who captains and leads us and represents us so that John can say, well, if you're in him, you've overcome too. And John saw that God become human in the flesh. And John was there with him and he heard him and he touched him and he saw him. That great and glorious spiritual overcomer, Jesus Christ, who is also a member of the physical, earthy human race. And John saw that at the cross, the physical God died to atone for all of our failures. He rose again to overcome the worst enemy, death. And he, having risen, he then sent his spirit, that victor, victorious, greater spirit, to live in everyone who loves him. And that's in you. So God's spirit in you is greater than any other spirit who's teaching you wrong things. So yes... I do want you to know the difference between the work of the Spirit of God in a person and the work of not the Spirit of God, but not because that's an academic exercise, so you can tick a box. I want you to know that because that is going to be reason to rejoice and worship that you've got the Spirit of God in you, and to delight in that, and to know that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world because Jesus came in the flesh. 
So that's what God calls you to today from this passage. Discern and be encouraged. Discern, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. So you know that a spiritual feeling or spiritual message or a profound philosophy or an insightful tweet, you know that it may be spiritual, but it might not be the spirit of God. So before you consume, discern. Before you consume, consider whether this is laced with the values of the world and not on the importance of Jesus become man. Or is it laced with ideas and philosophies that say you can just know God without having to tap into anything that historic Christianity and any church and any genuine believers that you know say? Is it a spirit that claims divine revelation from God? Or does it agree with believers in the church that you know are genuine believers? Discernment means that you get used to thinking that way about the YouTube sermons or CU speakers if you're in CU or even the sermons I preach myself. You can discern, test the spirits, but discern and be encouraged. Be encouraged this morning. Dear children, you are from God. So whatever false thinking is out there, whatever spirits are vying for our attention, we trust Jesus. God become man who is the overcomer, who sent into us his greater spirit. And in a world where we do have to be discerning, God's spirit in us is greater than any falsehood or other spirit. So I want you to leave here knowing that God never leaves you without knowing what to believe. And that in giving you his spirit, God has given you assurance that you're his And he's given you the most reliable and true witness to keep you trusting in what matters most. That God became human in Jesus. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you that you have given us this passage um, so that we might know in our minds how to discern. And that you, by that, help us to walk rightly before you and to keep trusting in Jesus. We also thank you that you've given this not just as a mental exercise, but that you have told us in 1 John this so that we can be encouraged. And thank you that we have been given your spirit. And in a world where we do have to discern, your spirit is in us and we have no fear that any other spirit is going to claim us or knock us off track because your spirit in us is greater than the one who's in the world. Thank you. That in knowing Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth, who is also your son, that in knowing him we have his spirit in us. Father, we pray that we would rest in that and be spurred on by that and build our lives on that. And that we'd be full of worship because the one who is in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And we pray that that would be at the heart of our discerning. And that it would be easy for us to discern because we know so much about, uh, so much that Jesus came in the flesh. And that you would keep us trusting in him for all our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.